why don't you uh, start turning your chairs back this direction, kind of wrap that discussion up. That's why I do interviews. It's much easier. If I would have said, you got five minutes to talk, it, I, people, people get freaked out. I, plus, when I do interviews, then, then I control the length of the conversation. Right. Let me have your attention up here. Um, some of you, if you've been around, obviously, this year and in past years, uh, you're aware that uh, every Christmas we, meaning Exodus Church, um, purchase Christmas gifts for the clients of an organization called Positive Link. Positive Link is, and it says in this card, you, everybody should have a card on their chair. Positive Link is a division, I suppose, of IU Health Hospital or Bloomington Hospital, whatever we call it now. Uh, servicing, uh, serving uh, the men and women in the community and even surrounding community and uh, counties that have people with HIV AIDS. Um, we've been doing that for probably seven or eight years, buying gifts for those uh, individuals. This past year, if you were here on the Sunday in December, that uh, we did Feast and Give, and we uh, I'll help you guys help decide how we allot money away, and we ended up giving uh, Positive Link. Uh, a significant amount of money to help some of their clients pay for some basic expenses. Uh, this is Amy Hayes, so welcome Amy, welcome Amy. Um, Amy, uh, Amy works for Positive Link, and uh, I'm going to just interview her, and we're going to talk a little bit about what, what they do and ways maybe that we, any of us, could be a part of that, all right? So um, Amy, why don't you first of all tell us, uh, where'd you grow up? I didn't ask. I didn't tell I was going to ask you that, but that's an easy that's question. Okay. Where'd you grow up? I, I grew up in Crawfordsville, Indiana, which is about an hour and yeah, we have a Wabash. <laughs> Wabash, yes, no, okay. He grew um, up in Crawfordsville. Okay, did so. you really? Interesting. <laughs> um, so yeah, about an and hour. And you've been in Bloomington how many years? Um, since '86. I just dated myself since '86. Okay. Since college. Okay. And uh, you've been working for Positive Link how many years? Oh, uh, thir 13, 14 years. Okay, and. the first question years. I told you to ask you is, why do you do what you do? It's got, to some degree, it's got to be a little bit exhausting. I've talked to you. Sometimes it's weary and exhausting because you've got people that are living life in crisis. So it, why do you do what you do? It is. It is. Um, but it's wonderful. Um, honestly, in 84, when I, uh, I was a sophomore in college, um, I went to Australia for a year. And so we're, we're talking early 80s. Um, Australia's a pretty progressive pretty cool kind of place. And I was in a very progressive area of Sydney. Um, and there was all kinds of um, information and all kinds of stuff about HIV AIDS. I learned a lot about it for the year that I was there. I came back here, not a clue. Not even, there was no, no mention of it, no anything, which is a really odd thing. So thinking when you asked me that question, send it to me. I thought back um, where my interest, my initial interest came from. And I think that's where it was that's where it initiated. Um, I was a teacher, um, huh. and then um, when my daughter 
started school, um, I started volunteering at Positive Link as a way just to give back to a community that I'm part of and um, have lost lots of friends um, to HIV. And it's, so it, it, it snowballed from there. Okay. Um, everybody has on your chair a card, and there's a name on there. And I can't remember, how, how many, you sent me all first names of clients. How many clients do you have? Um, it waxes and wanes, but between 170 and 185. So if, if you have a card that has a red, in red writing, you have a name of a client. If you have green writing, you have a name of a staff, just so you know the difference. Um, but one of the things I want to ask you, what, what's, what's one or two things that your clients struggle with? What's the, what's the you, you could say, what's, this is what their life is like, and this is what you have to deal with. What's, what's some of their biggest struggles uh, that we could be aware of, that we could be thinking about ways we could help them, help you? Um, a, a huge issue is poverty, and not not, and that not just the financial aspect of poverty, which sounds kind of strange, but poverty is very all-encompassing, um, and isolation, um, um, loneliness, stigma. There's still a huge stigma um, out there. Um, we've got a lot of folks who are. I mean, we're a rural community for the most part. We serve. We serve seven, eight counties, but we do have people in other counties other than our main catchment area. Um, so there's a lot of isolation um, for financial reasons, for, for uh, stigma-related reasons. Um, and then just uh, access to health care and, and understanding our health care system insurance. Um, understanding Which has been real easy lately. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. That's, yeah, don't, don't, you don't, please don't go, you don't want yeah. to go there. Yeah. Um, but it, it's, it's just, it's a lack of, I mean, it, it's very, it's, it's a very overwhelming system, especially when you feel um, like you're not worthy, really, of, um, of accessing much of anything. So um, that's, that, th those are kind of the biggies. And Substance I, use, which comes first, chicken or the egg, but... Um, and you and I talked about this when I was at your office one time, I, but I didn't tell I was going to ask this question. But in general, in general, their reaction to the thought of being a part of organized church is generally negative, correct? Um, suspect. Suspect. I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say negative. Okay. I would say suspect. They're yes. suspect of anybody that would be Christian or church or whatever. Yeah. And, and it, yeah, yes. Um, and, and again, that's a huge generalization. Um, we've got, I mean, we have folks who run the gamut Absolutely, I mean, as this room does. Um, so, um, but yes, suspect because of um, a, a lot of our clients are gay men. Um, typical uh, church Christian, um, you know, it, it, it doesn't, it, it's, they've had bad experiences. They've had very judgmental experiences. Um, and then on top of that, you, you put, you know, a disease that, um, that, you know, it's, it's not, and I'm not likening it to cancer or diabetes, so don't misunderstand me. But um, those, those other diseases, chronic diseases, come with a, oh, I'm so sorry. Um, you know, what, what can I do to help? HIV doesn't really do that. A lot of it is a behavior-based. You, you did this to yourself, um, which, of course, is not the case. But so, so, yes, to answer your question, yes. I would say suspect, not ne negative. So now in, in general, too, what, what are... What are ways in which a group of people like us could participate and help in what you do? Well, what you it, do at your office, what you do it's, at your... It's already sort of started. Um, clients know that Exodus is um, an integral part of Gifts of Grace, which is not just gift giving. Uh, 
um, it's, it's um, you all are much more invested than that, which is um, they, they understand because we talk about it, and it's, so it, it's already beginning um, their, their sort of diffusion of, you know, wh what's, what's the motive? What is the mo? You know, do do they want me to come in and you know, they, well, they're they're beginning to understand that you know what it really is a it really is a, a bunch of kind people, um, whether you come to church or not. Um, so it's beginning because we talk about it, and um, it, it just a, a a sense of community which we all desperately need now, um, always. But um, just a sense of community, and and we we're, we're slowly talking to people about. Um, you know, a place where you can come and and just be, you know, sit in the back and be in a group of people. You never have to say a word. You're just in public. You're in a group of people. You're you're in a, a group that probably is not going to um, judge you, maybe the way you thought they would. Okay. So okay. it's it's a it's a progression, but we're we've started that. Progression. And there's also some other events throughout the year that we and I have talked about Absolutely. that maybe ways we can be a part of and participate in, apart from gifts of grace. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So. Okay, what we're, we're going to do now, you have those cards, and I'm going to ask, we're going to do this. Um, actually, who has, the card, who has the card that in green writing says Amy? Who has a card with Amy's name? Anybody? Somebody, surely somebody. <laughs> I know, I wrote her name down. Okay, here's one over there. Okay, just, just, and then didn't you say that this week one of your clients passed away? Yes, one of, one of the people. First name? Cards, Jill. Jill. Yeah. Okay, so if you have um, Jill's card, yeah. um, you don't need to raise, don't raise yeah. your hand, just, just the reality of your work. Maybe her family. She okay. has grandkids that she took care of and um, two daughters that, that were very involved in her life. So, Here's what I want you to do. Uh, we're going to stretch ourselves a little bit. I want you to get back in those groups we were just in. And I just want you, uh, everybody with your card, even if you just out loud simply say, God, I pray for Randy. And then I want you, but, but I kind of want you to speak it out loud. And if you're not used to praying in public, that's all you need to say. God, please bless Randy, or I pray for Randy, or whatever you want to say. Of course, if it's not Randy on your card, don't say Randy, but you know what I'm saying. Um, but get in those groups, and then if you could keep the card throughout the week, and I want to ask you to commit at least one time, one time this week to pray for that person again for God's love in their life, all right? So get back in those groups, and if you'd all stretch yourselves, just a one-sentence prayer for that person out loud, you know, let's hear each other pray, and then we'll uh, pull it together from there.
maybe wrap that up in the next 90 seconds or so. Go ahead and start turning your chairs back this direction. Okay, let me, uh, let me pray, and then we're going to look into God's Word. God, the, uh, the passage is printed on every one of these cards. It is the passage where Paul prays for the believers in the ancient city of Ephesus, and he prays that they would experience the love of Christ, even though it's too great to understand, he said. So, God, even as we've just prayed for these individuals, that you know their names, whether it's Randy or Jill or Christopher or Mark. And God, our prayer is, and we believe that when we ask you, you said you, you said you would do what we ask. You said that when we call out to you and we cry out, you answer. We're asking, God, that these individuals, the clients of Positive Link, as well as the staff members, that they would experience the love of Jesus this week in some tangible way. We don't know how you want to orchestrate that, God. You don't know if you want to, we don't know if you want to use us in intentional or random kind of ways, but we want that to happen, God. We're asking that you would orchestrate through your Holy Spirit that these individuals would experience the love of Jesus that's way too big to understand and that would be in an overwhelming way that they would um, be aware that they're loved by you. And God, my prayers for each one of us here as well that we as well would believe and understand and experience uh, the love of Jesus in our lives this week. And again, whether that's through one another, through reading your word, through whatever way you want to help us understand and experience your love, that's what we're asking. And again, we believe that you said you would respond when we ask, and we're um, asking. Now we look in your word, God, give us eyes to see and ears to, see, ears to hear what you want us to hear. Amen. Um, you know, we, we, again, against, again, with those cards, just stick it somewhere. Again, even if, I'm just going to just one time this week. Ideally, do it every day. Pray for that person. Put their name in the blank. You know, may Randy experience the love of Jesus or whatever. Um, put it somewhere where you see it. We do believe that the invisible world is real, and I believe that just what we just did Something will be different, tangibly different, really realistically different in these people's lives, probably in ways we won't never know or measure, 
but our prayers don't just hit the ceiling and bounce back. God said he listens to our prayers and he responds to our prayers. It's, and that's part of our stretch, I think, for a lot of us. Okay, that was a nice gesture and we hope that makes us all feel good. But no, something transpired in the invisible world with just what we did and then God heard what we asked and God will respond with what we ask him to do. He will. That's what he said. That's what he asked us to do. That's how, he, that's how prayer is talked about in scripture. We, we do it because we believe something has been pierced in the invisible world that now will change. All right? Okay. Uh, got a Valentine's card for my wife this week. Here's the front cover. When you've been married as long as we have, I got this a couple days after Valentine's Day, a couple days late, but still good, okay? When you've been married as long as we have, you learn to accept the per other person's faults. Inside cover. You'll understand this if I ever develop some. <laughs> Happy Valentine's Day. It was from my wife. Now, the card I got her, um, I didn't get her one this year, but uh, I'm pretty good with cards, though. So, no, you'll understand this if I ever develop some. And I had, I had to laugh because that's part of, our, you know, part of our fun interaction and even conflict sometimes is who's at fault for this, who's at fault for that, who's at fault for this. And, it, and you understand that a large part of conflict in marriage is trying to figure out, well, who's, who, how do we, why, why do we have, what, how do we have conflict? How do we, ha how do we have great conflict? Because the hard way is the right way in marriage. And please understand, um, somebody asked me this week, and I understand, they said, well, sometimes I wonder if your wife are even happily married. I, 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 I would personally say right now, I, I'm most happy than I've ever been in my married life. And my wife and I have, are, are learning how to fight really, really good, and there's a, there's a correlation there, all right? I love my wife. Everything's, I mean, everything's good, so we're not, we're not in trouble. <laughs> so. But the, problem, the, the thing is we've been talking about the last few weeks is uh, what we call a dangerous intimacy. And dangerous meaning anything is dangerous that challenges the status quo. Anything that will challenge the way things are that might lead to pain or difficulty, that's why we call it a dangerous situation or a dangerous person because they're messing with safety. All right? So dangerous intimacy is because God loves to mess with our personal sense of safety and how we want life to work for us. And if you want the intimacy with another person in marriage for that matter, with God, for that matter, in any relationship, there's a danger involved. It's not a negative thing. It's just a reality of it's the hard way is the right way in a lot of these situations. So what we've been looking at, and then the question that we've gone in the last couple of weeks, I throw this out just to get you thinking, go to the next one. What could your marriage be like if you didn't have to struggle anymore with blank? And I said, please don't put your spouse's name in that blank. That's not fair. All right. What could your marriage be like if this issue was out of the picture, that issue was out of the picture, or this issue was out of the picture? Some are issues you talk about in your marriage. Some are issues you don't talk about anymore. You kind of have a quiet truce that you just don't go there, even though one or both of you wishes you could or would, but you don't or you won't. So what could your marriage be like if you don't have, didn't have to struggle anymore with blank? Now, the next slide. In the, in the very beginning, when God talks about Adam and Eve, and then Jesus repeats the phrase about a man leaves his father and mother, cleaves unto his wife, they become one flesh. In the beginning, God's dream for marriage 
was this oneness, this togetherness, this shameless environment. And by that I mean there was no judgment, no condemnation from the other person, full acceptance, joy, peace. In the biblical sense, peace is not simply, well, we have a peaceful relationship because we don't talk about the hard things. No, the fullness of peace, the kind of relationship we've all wanted. So marriage in God's design is this incredibly joy-filled, peace-filled together, close, intimate environment and relationship. That's what it was meant to be. Now, granted, what we said a couple weeks ago is because of our selfishness that kind of enters the picture, which we all have those issues, what's, what's, what becomes, that becomes broken, and then marriage can become a blame and shame kind of game. And although we find some moments of joy and, and jo- enjoyment, there's sometimes these deep under issues of, well, how do we deal with that? How do we deal with that? And I wish, that was, uh, this, wish this issue wasn't in our relationship anymore, or whatever. So let me read the passage. Um, we've been reading this last few weeks from Ephesians chapter 5. Go to the next slide there. I think it's on there. Yeah, Ephesians chapter 5. We just read the whole, I'm just read the whole passage. But today we're going to talk about, uh, just specifically, how to have great conflict. Or how to, how to go the hard way to be the right way. All right? Ephesians chapter 5. And we're not going to talk about all these passages. We're just going to read it again. He said, and Paul says, And further submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands to the Lord. For husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands and everything. And we talked about that. We have a lot of misperceptions and wrong perceptions about it. I talked about that a few weeks ago. Go on to the next slide. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she'll be holy and without fault. All right, keep going. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies, for a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, own body but feeds and cares for it just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. If you were here a few weeks ago, remember what I said was, the husband and wife are to be Jesus to one another. You take the Jesus role to one another, which is sa- always sacrificial. It's always sacrificial. It's never domineering. Always sacrificial, never domineering. Always sacrificial, never domineering. All right, finish up here. And the, As the scripture says, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Paul's taking that from Genesis, the opening chapters. Jesus repeats that same phrase in the Gospels. A man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, two are united into one. This is a great mystery. But it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. All right, go to the next slide, Tim. Because this phrase is what we want to fo- I want to focus on. Paul says about marriage, this is a great mystery. Some of you who are married be like, you got that right. Can't figure this out. It's a great mystery. But the, the, in the sense of the, in the biblical sense, a mystery is something that God, that has not been known, but God is revealing through the power of his Holy Spirit. Something we don't know, but God's showing us more. So Paul is saying through marriage, is an illustration of something that God wants to show us that he will reveal to us more and more that we can understand and become 
a certain kind of people because he's revealing something to us. Now, this doesn't only happen in marriage because it says it's just an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. All right? So if you're not married, if you're single, it's the same dynamic of there are things God wants to show you that you don't currently understand, and he can only show you by the power of what we refer to as the Holy Spirit. The Bible calls that this invisible reality of God that actually can be a part of our lives. All right? Two things, three things actually, that I believe are part of this mystery that not just this passage but other scripture uh, would teach us. First thing is this. All right, go to the next slide. First thing that God wants to reveal to you and me through the power of his Holy Spirit, that he uses marriage to do so, but also any relationship, is you are more goofy and broken than you ever dared believe. Well, good news, wow, woo, yeah, right? You are more goofy and broken than you ever dared believe. I had no problems in life until I got married. Then my wife tells me I have all these issues. I mean, not exactly, I knew I had some stuff. But the human relationships of marriage, or for that matter, even just close friendships, you realize you, you, you got some stuff. I mean, maybe, maybe you're a fearful person that tends toward anxiety. Maybe you're an opinionated person. Maybe you're inflexible, demanding, and sulky. Now, this applies to anybody here. Some of you may have had your roommates tell you this. Maybe you're abrasive and harsh. Maybe you're undisciplined, unreliable, and disorganized. Maybe you're oblivious, distracted, insensitive, and unaware. Maybe you're a perfectionist, and it shows itself in being judgmental and critical of other people or yourself. Maybe you're impatient and irritable, and you hold grudges, you lose your temper. Maybe you're a highly independent person, you don't ask for help, you don't rely on other people. Maybe you really like to be liked. I mean, your hobby is collecting these things on Facebook. I want the likes. Maybe you're obsessed with liking being liked, and that affects your relationships because you try to please people, you shade the truth always in your favor, or you don't speak up if it means somebody may not like you. Or maybe you're a thrifty person, you think, but you're really just not very generous and you're kind of a miser with your money. Whatever the issue is, these are issues you probably, if you're single or if you're married and you were single, you probably were aware of some of those kind of things. But if you have a roommate or a mom or dad or a friend that tells you, yeah, sometimes you'd be a little insensitive, you can kind of blow it off because you can just avoid that person. I don't like, that person told me I was insensitive. I don't like them. I'm not going to be around them. If your spouse who you live with 24-7 in the same house tells you you're insensitive or tells you you're kind of miserly with your money or tells you you're kind of oblivious and unaware of what's going on around, you can't really walk away. It's in your face. And and then you have to wrestle with, is that really who I am? Is that really, do I really have those issues? Because if you're like many of us, or is this person just so dysfunctional that they see something in me that I know isn't true? That's what we end up, that's what, you know, you start seeing these things. And, and uh, you know, even Paul in the earlier part of Ephesians, he talks about a list of issues. Some of these things I mentioned, whether it's anger or impatience or irritability, those kind of things that he says is part of who we are. 
And part of what marriage is, just like the relationship of Jesus with us is, Jesus uses that to expose things to ourselves that he wants to set us free of. And you might, you might say, well, I don't know, you know, what kind of issues I have or whatever. And this is what my wife told me. This is a really good question to ask whether you're single or married. Ask somebody else, hey, how do you experience me? Ask somebody else, hey, what do I do? I've asked this to my wife before, and it's a, it's a dangerous question. What do I do that energizes you? What do I do that you love that energizes you? And then, what do I do that kind of deflates you? you? You'll hear stuff. Ask your roommate that. Ask your best friend that. Be in a good mood when you ask it, though. And you'll hear that when they tell you things that energize, it's like, yeah, that's who I am. I love that part of who I am. But then when you get to the part of, well, then tell me, what do I do that kind of deflates you, that kind of... And, and insist they be honest. And you will hear things that you need to hear, that the Holy Spirit wants you to hear, that you have to deal with because you want to be the kind of person that's life-giving and full of the life of Jesus. You don't want to be somebody that has these roadblocks because of your own goofiness and brokenness. One thing I've realized in marriage is that I'm more, I'm more broken than I ever thought I was. I'm more broken than I ever thought I was. Goofy is just my word of, kind of another word, of, it's a softer way to say broken. I'm more broken than I ever thought I was. And I'm learning to be not okay with that. I'm learning to be okay with the diagnosis of that because I know that's how God wants to set me free. I go to the doctor because I want the doctor to tell me what's wrong with me. I don't want the doctor to read the test and find there's cancer and all kinds of disease and then tell me, you're okay. I don't want that. And so part of the relationship of marriage, which, you, which Paul says is just like Christ in the church, Christ in you, is that you will see things about yourself you'd really rather not know. And it's part of our human brokenness, and we kind of want it left alone. I do. Please just leave that alone. Please overlook that. Can't you love me anyway? Please overlook that. And so we have these conversations where broken person A is married to broken person B, and the broken issues kind of meet in the middle and sometimes form this what I call this incredible chemical equation of poof. And then we try to figure out whose fault it is, and then we go downhill from there because we play the Adam and Eve blame and shame game. The issue here is you have to deal with you. Your job is not to deal, your job is not to clean up your spouse's act. Yeah, I have hard conversations, but my job is my growth. If I am growing in my relationship with Jesus and if I'm asking the Holy Spirit to show me things about me that need to change, and so is my wife or your spouse or whatever, if two people are growing toward the same thing, they will grow closer together. If you have two instruments that are tuned to the exact same tuning fork, those instruments will be in tune. So your job is you and God. Their job is them and God. Yes, you have conversations. But you have to understand, sometimes we don't like... Now, here's where this shows up sometime. Where's Kathy? I'm not going to have you come up here, but where are you? Okay. Here's how we kind of subtly deny brokenness. I might say, let's say we have a conversation and Kathy feels hurt by something I said. I could say, 
Kathy, I'm sorry if you felt hurt by that. Hear, hear what I just said. Kathy, I'm sorry if you felt hurt by that. Who's broken in that statement? Am I the one who's broken or is she broken? I'm, I'm sorry, Kathy, if you felt hurt by that. Because you must be broken enough that you totally misheard what I said. So I'm sorry if you felt hurt. Right? Who's broken how I just... That's a confession. What else did you want? I just said I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry if you felt hurt by that. What I'm saying is you're the dysfunctional one. You mis totally misunderstood my actions. Different statement is this. Kathy, I'm sorry that I hurt you with my words. I'm owning my brokenness. Right? Huge difference there. If you put it if, but, or a maybe in your I'm sorry to your spouse or your friend or your mom or your dad, it's not an I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but only if, but I'm sorry I did that, but if you wouldn't have done that first, that's not a confession. It's kind of an accusation gilded as a confession. But if I'm okay, I'm not okay with being broken. I'm okay with acknowledging that because you know what Scripture says? We all, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have a new heart. And if you have a new heart, that you have a good heart, but you're still capable of hurting people. And it's okay to acknowledge that. You're only going to grow if you acknowledge that. Now, I put dot, dot, dot up here because the gospel is not just this. Sometimes we stick, we get stuck on the gospel being just this power of truth of you're sinners, you're broken. That's part one of the gospel. You're more goofy and broken than you ever dared believe. Next slide. The conclusion of that is yet you are more loved and accepted than you ever dared hope. It's the power of mercy, power of love. Because it's not just that I learned from my wife or she learns from me our brokenness. But we learn to show one another what we believe is the love and the condition, unconditional acceptance and forgiveness of Jesus in those things. I could name you times, she could name times, where we had to confess to one another an issue in our lives and we received a non-judgmental, loving acceptance that actually set us free. Because that's what you learn in marriage, because you, you, you learn to be Jesus to the other person. You learn to offer that kind of forgiveness. You learn to offer that kind of mercy. See, part of the problem is, and this is just one of the things, you know, you, you, we hear often about Christians is we need to take a stand for the truth. Take a stand for the truth. We need to take a stand for the truth, stand for the truth. When's the last time you heard anybody who's a follower of Jesus say, we need to take a stance for mercy? Well, we, we take stands for truth. That's what we do. We, we're all about truth. no. Jesus was about truth and grace. Maybe in your marriage right now, you need to be taking the pathway of mercy towards your spouse and let up on some stuff. Yeah, but what I'm saying is true. It may be true. They may need your grace and mercy and forgiveness right now. But it's true, it's true, it's true. Well, it, it might be true. But can we stop playing this game as followers of Jesus where we think it's all about the truth? It is about the truth, but the scripture says Jesus came full of grace and truth. Maybe what you need in your marriage right now is grace towards your spouse. You're like, yeah, but, yeah, but if you only knew what they, I don't know what they've done to you. And I'm not saying denial. I'm saying grace and mercy toward them. Doesn't mean you overlook it and you live your marriage like this. Yeah, I don't see the fact that you're getting drunk all the time. La, la, la. I don't hear it. You know what? I'm not saying that. 
I'm saying they may need grace and mercy and forgiveness. That may be what heals them of their brokenness. Not you always rubbing their nose in it on the ground. Right? Grace and mercy should be who we're all about. Now, this next slide is... is go to the next one. Because this is... When we talk about... I could have had like 55 marriage principles in conflict. I could have given me all kinds of principles. And yes, they would all be true, or yes, they'd all be things you could live by. But what's interesting and what I've realized more and more is you can't be, you can't do conflict well, well, whole, healing, wholesome, getting into the heart of marriage, apart from supernatural realities that we say we believe. Like I said about prayer. We say we believe we just did something that had supernatural result. Well, do we? Do we believe that? Is our religion a supernatural religion? Or do we simply believe we're moral people and we just try to do good things? Now, here's why I'm saying this with, and I said this a couple weeks ago, you can't act like Jesus toward your spouse or anybody else unless you have the spirit of Jesus. You can't show the mercy and grace toward Jesus toward your spouse or any other enemy or someone who's hurt you or your roommate or, unless you have the spirit of Jesus. You can't speak the truth in love, which Paul says in the book of Ephesians. You can't speak the truth with a graceful, loving spirit unless you have the spirit of Jesus. Now, here's what's interesting. We've, we've been in Ephesians 5 where Paul talks about marriage. So that's, that's right here. I'll put this right here. Right before this passage, Paul makes this kind of umbrella statement. And he says this, Do not be drunk with wine, but instead be filled with the Spirit. Now, Paul's not making a statement simply against alcohol. What he's saying is, people... Uh, People that are drunk or find other ways to anesthetize their pain, to deaden their pain, they figured out other ways to kind of cover up pain or cover up issues to take the edge off. Paul's saying, no, instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the sense of how Paul says that is, let yourselves be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. Let yourselves be continually infused by this invisible force in reality we call the spirit of Jesus. Let yourself be filled by that, be open to that, because without that you have no hope of having any kind of healthy, life-giving, the kind of relationship you've always dreamed of. Yes, you can make your marriage work without the Holy Spirit. I mean, there, there are things we could do as a church that if the Holy Spirit left us, we could still do it. But that's not, we, we, we don't want to be that kind of a church. There are people that have made their marriage work without God in their lives, made their marriage work without the Holy Spirit in their lives. I want, and Scripture wants, way more than your marriage just working. Scripture wants, God wants your marriage to thrive, to be full of life, full of life-giving energy toward other people. And so he says, let yourselves be filled with the Holy Spirit. So how in the world does the Holy Spirit fit into your marriage? Well, it really is simply, you have to be open enough to what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life and let him orchestrate the change. Because there are, your marriage can only grow if there's that supernatural kind of force. And you might think, oh, how does that, how does that happen? I just read my Bible and pray. No, just, there are some of us, myself included at times in our marriage, and I know I've talked to many of you about your marriages, and some are really good and some are really hard, and some are really both. 
But there are times where I think we figured out, okay, my marriage is working. It's okay. It's working. It's not awful. It's working. And then we find some degree of status quo contentment with that. Well, I, you know, could be worse. When you open yourself up to the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of God in you, you will no longer be satisfied with status quo. And I think sometimes that's my fear or your fear as to why we don't want God to have total access to me or you. Because when he has access, he starts pushing and nudging and bumping things around. And he will not let us simply make our lives or marriages work. God wants so much more than that. And some of you have been satisfied with your status quo marriage for way too long. Or you've been satisfied even with what you think, well, it's a good marriage. Well, God wants you to have a great marriage. And I'm not, trying to, I'm not telling you to pick fights. What I'm saying is deal with some stuff that God wants you to deal with. But that's only going to happen if you trust the Holy Spirit in you to point those things out to you. I mean, most, you know, my, in my relationship with Kathy, she'll, you know, we, I've learned things about myself through her, but it's often the Holy Spirit telling me things like, literally, she's right, you know. And it's like, oh, I, I can argue with God, but it's hard to argue this way. So, let yourselves be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what God says. And if, if you commit yourself to that, I will guarantee you God will start moving your marriage in a direction that you've always wanted. But that's a big risk. Because if I say, uh, Jesus, pour out your spirit on me, that means some things in me may have to go to make room for this. And you have to decide whether you want that or not. Because if you don't want that, if you want that, you also know he's going to come in and bump and move and shuffle because he wants to give life. If you don't want that, if you don't want the risk involved, don't ask God for that. And even though this next slide, the one we finish with every week, back to this prayer that was on your card this week, may you experience the love of Christ through it's too great to understand fully, then to be made complete with all the fullness. Jesus wants you to be full of the life of God in you, full of the Holy Spirit in you. And that fullness only comes if you invite it to happen. God will not bowl over your heart. He, but he wants you to be free. And that's our prayer. That's Paul's prayer for your marriage. That's Paul's prayer for your life, whether you're married or not. Uh, let me pray. God, we, uh, again, my prayer for each of us, these, your sons and your daughters, is simply what Paul's prayed for us. And that is, uh, may we experience the love of Christ. And may we be filled with the life and fullness that come from you alone. That's the kind of people we want to be. We want our marriages to be full of life and power that come from you. Full. Overflowing. Serving others. Giving life to others. That's who we want to be, God. And so would you bring that about in our marriages? Would you bump things in our hearts that need to be bumped? Would you bring life to things that need to be brought life to? And would your Holy Spirit, with his full of truth and full of grace personality, be the one doing that great work inside of us? And we ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, we finish every week at Exodus with... Uh,